Welcome to Bibliophiles, a podcast for lit lovers. In today's episode, the Center for Lit team continues its quest to discover the great ideas in books of every description, ancient classics to fresh bestsellers, epic poems to bedtime stories. We're glad you came along. We hope you find this discussion as provocative and inspiring as the books themselves. Want to join the great conversation? Stay tuned. You've come to the right place. Welcome, welcome, everyone. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Bibliophiles. Adam Andrews with you once again, along with my family, otherwise known as the Center for Lit Crew, my wife, Missy. Hi. My son, Ian. Hey. My daughter-in-law, Emily. Hello. Welcome, guys. Thanks for being here today. Today, speaking of which, I want to toss out a very informal topic. It's become our custom in Bibliophiles to do something strictly literary and to even prepare in advance in uh, a comment or two on some literary question, maybe with some reading ahead of time so that we can drop literary wisdom on our listeners. And we find ourselves out of gas in that area this time. And so I thought we'd just kind of toss a question out and go unrehearsed. Uh, any objections to that? Have nah. you actually done reading on a topic that you would like to hold forth on, you Center for Lit denizens? <laughs> I didn't think nobody so. Not today, I'm afraid. Hey, did you say, ain't nobody got time for that? Oh, I love that. That's awesome. Um, so here's what we're going to do. Today, we're going to jump off the fact that Ian just taught a class, an online class, <laughs> on Roald Dolls Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, which is one of the stalwarts on our reading list for our junior high online class. And we usually have a great time discussing it. And just in a previous staff meeting, a very recent staff meeting, Ian, you mentioned uh, that you got to teach Roald Dahl today. And a, a spontaneous sure. cry rose up from the rest of us to the effect of, oh, Roald Dahl, I love Roald Dahl. Let's talk about Roald Dahl. So I'm gonna, Ian, I'm going to throw the floor open to you and have you tell us why in the world Charlie and the Chocolate Factory uh, is taught every year in our junior high class and why you love it so much. Oh, my goodness. Why? Well, I think it's because Roald Dahl just has the most glorious um, childlike vision of the world and how how one should go about being happy in it. And it basically all of his characters think about that constantly. How to be and happy. The reason I think, yeah, how to be happy. Yeah, exactly. Um, there's meditations on childlike wonder all over the place in Roald Dahl. Um, I got to confess, though, I think the reason that Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is on our reading list is because you can't have a Roald Dahl book besides Charlie and the Chocolate Factory on our reading list. Why? It's not my very favorite of his. I think Danny the Champion of the World is the best Roald Dahl book, hands down, no question. <laughs> and if we're going to rank them, it's Danny the Champion of the World, and then Matilda, and then the BFG, and then Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. So name recognition. That's why. Is that That's why, why Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is on the list? Because everybody knows yeah. it because of because of Gene Wilder in the 1970s movie? Yeah, even though they did some serious violence to the story in the Gene Wilder movie. as I mean, as we can talk about if you want to. But the thing, so what I told my students in class today, and maybe the most literary thing I said to them all day long was, did you guys know that Roald Dahl um, is imitating Shakespeare in creating the Oompa Loompas? And the kids said, what? <laughs> and then I said, well, there's this thing in Shakespeare called the chorus. And what the chorus does is step out onto the stage and communicate with the, the watcher or the listener or the reader specifically and say, hey, let us interpret the story for you. Let us tell you what's really going on. And Shakespeare obviously uses this to great effect in all of his plays or in most of his plays. And Roald Dahl does the same thing here. The Oompa Loompas provide in comedy song 
a send-up of each little vicious child's demise in the chocolate factory. And you guys, it's hilarious. You should have heard my reading today of one of the longer and choicer uh, versions. No. Oh, yes. No, I will not. Absolutely, you will. (laughs) I will not. Give us the reading. We want a reading. I'm not going to do it because I have an observation to make. So that, so here's the, my problem with Charlie and the chocolate factory is that, um, and actually one of my students put it today better than me. She said, is Charlie a dynamic protagonist or a static protagonist? Oh, this that's is a, interesting. a junior high kid. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's a junior high kid. <laughs> elementary, right? She's oh no. Elementary. Yeah, no, no, not junior high even. Yeah. This is elementary <laughs> class. She said, is he a dynamic protagonist or a static one? And I that's said, that's a great question. Funny. You should ask. Static, because actually the question of Charlie is not whether he is going to grow to understand something important or whether his vision of the world is going to be contradicted or any of that kind of stuff. The question is whether whether there will be food. But he's actually perfect. He's a perfect little boy. Oh, he I has see. No fear. He has no doubt. He has no um, really really no flaws to I, speak of. That kid is smarter than I am. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. What, I didn't know that what a dynamic and static protagonist was. Yeah, I mean, teaching elementary kids is always a lark. You but wait have a no second. idea what they're going to say. Charlie in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is the perfect static character. Doesn't he steal fizzy lifting drinks? No, he doesn't. That was That's one of the Gene Wilder problems. Dang it, Gene Wilder, and all your ilk. <laughs> I mean, the fact of the matter is, I think Wilder did a beautiful job of capturing Willy Wonka, but um, Charlie never does that, and neither does Grandpa Joe. They I wouldn't. Mean, they're not the kind of characters that would. They, w- they never did. They wouldn't, right? I mean, that's what it comes down to. And so I think the addition of it is really kind of a bummer, but I can see why they did it. It's because of a misreading of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. So tell me, and hopefully most of you listeners have read the book, but tell me if this makes sense to you. Charlie is this perfect little boy down on his luck. His whole family's down on his luck. Here comes Willy Wonka out of the blue and provides this opportunity for everyone to benefit from his wealth and his joy and his perspective on the world, right? We have chocolate as a symbol for uh, plenty and warmth and success and security and everything and good Walker just wants to share it with the world that's all he's interested in right yep but then we meet all these other kids and so we've got charlie this paragon of virtue of little of little 10 year old boyish virtue and then we've got all these other kids who are to a man jerks all of them they're just terrible little fiends of people and then the whole book is about willy wonka exposing them as fiends the Oompa Loompa is telling us all of the reasons why their character flaws are, A, understandable given how awful their parents are and how awful our culture is and all of that. And then they get what's coming to them and leave the factory. And Charlie, likewise, gets what's coming to him because he was a good little boy and followed all the rules. And so he wins. You know, an article floated across my desk a couple of weeks ago that was comparing, it was saying how it's a meditation. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is a meditation on the seven deadly sins. And that he is comparing, like it is like Dante's Inferno. It's a play on Dante's Inferno. And the article, I think, misread Dante's Inferno as well, because it said the exact same thing. It was the wicked are punished, the just are served, they're just desserts. And um, yeah, it's a, it's everyone gets what they deserve in the end. Yeah. Well, so that's, I mean, does that to, to the two of you, to the three of you, does that sound like a fair reading of Charlie and the Chocolate Well, Factory? I was going to say yes until, until Emily's comment. So what, what, so what next? Guide me, Ian. Well, here's what I come up with. First of all, I can see how you come up with that because the Oompa Loompas do break into comedy song. Right. And here's all the bad stuff this kid did, and that's why he's getting his down in the basement. <laughs> right? <Yeah. laughs> I mean, honestly, so it's a little dark. It. 
this kid was this kid was drug off to some other part of the factory and is being horribly tortured and like it's all sucked up a chocolate pipe it's all it's all roll doll eyesed and so it's all funny and cute except really what's happening is this guy got shrunk down little so we're going to put him on the rack and stretch him out until he's 10 feet tall i mean like it's dark (laughs) <laughs> and they're getting their just desserts. And Charlie, meanwhile, is just watching googly-eyed going, this this world is so great and everybody loves me. And turns out they do because he's such a sweet little boy and he gets everything he wants. I can see why everybody comes up with that reading, except the chorus isn't actually the voice of the author. And I think it's hilarious. The chorus is supposed to be the voice of the author. That's where the the writer of the story communicates with the reader and says, this is how I want you to interpret all right. of these things. Right, but I think Wonka is the voice of Roald Dahl, not the chorus. And before the Oompa Loompas speak for the very first time, or rather, right after the first song that they deliver, Willy Wonka says, "Aren't they adorable? Don't believe a word they say." I remember that. I forgot about that till right now. He Aren't starts guys so by cute? warning us against the Oompa Loompas. That's right. Don't believe a word they say. They're so silly that you you can't make them stop singing. Aren't isn't that adorable? Don't believe a word they say. And then the book proceeds to have the Oompa Loompas decide how we're going to think about all of it because in our hearts, I think we all think about it the way the Oompa Loompas do, which is that if we do it rightly, everything will be fine. And if we do it wrongly, we're going to be punished. But really what happens if you think about it for a second is the person of Willy Wonka um, gives everyone more than they deserve all the time. Even the kids who, who leave the factory having been admonished, first of all, were given a lesson that will benefit them over the course of their lives. Right. And then secondly, we're all given lifetime supplies of chocolates. And Rodal is, cl- is very clear about it, right? There's a scene where Willy Wonka and Charlie are in the glass elevator looking down on these poor dejected kids who've been sent away from the factory. And he goes, what are those trucks doing? And Wonka says, well, it's this, that's their lifetime supply of chocolates. In other words, all the security and all of the happiness Goodness and, and the sweetness they need for the rest of their lives is still theirs. That is an interesting That reading. is fascinating. That is fascinating. I never thought about the fact that Wonka warns us against the Oompa Loompas in that uh-huh. way. But I will tell you this, though. What about this little pushback idea? I have read that, uh, I'll, I'll admit, all my life as a um, Mark Twainian bit of irony uh, mm-hmm. along the lines of the, the announcement in the, at the front of Huckleberry Finn. The person's attempting mm-hmm. to find a moral in this story will be shot. You know, Wonka says with the same tone of voice, don't pay attention to a word the Oompa Loompas say, thus um, coaching us who understand irony to pay very close attention to what they say, because here's where Roald Dahl's going to make his point. What do you you say to that? I mean, you could just as easily take it that way, and it probably holds water. Like, I'm not going to say I've written a doctoral dissertation on this particular It's a very interesting idea, though. I mean, I want you to prove me wrong, because I like your conclusion a lot better. Well, I mean, I think... One thing's for sure, and in, in, in this is true in all of, a lot of his other work as well, is that Dahl's interested in talking about cultural trends, particularly in children and how it's affecting children. And he doesn't like television. He never has liked television, right? He's in favor of reading instead. And he thinks a lot of the things that we, a lot of the things that he saw in his era um, are killing imagination. And, and he's obviously the a number one imaginative fiction writer of his, of his era. And so Obviously, he's going to preach whenever he can about kids should be outside running around reading books and and acting out, you know, plays as pirates and all that sort of thing. So if there is any preaching going on, I think that's kind of what it is. Um, but I do think it's really interesting that 
that everybody gets it. Nobody gets really truly what's coming to them at the end of the story. That idea that nobody gets what's coming to them and that there's a, that there is a, a system of comeuppances in the world that it is the, it's the lot of protagonists to evade somehow shows up in mm-hmm. his other books. I mean, the one you mentioned that the uh, Danny, the champion of the world about oh. the, about the poor man and his child who are, who live in a, live in a trailer on the edge of the King's wood or something. And they, they make survive by poaching. They survive by poaching the King's turkeys or the, I can't remember what it is. Is it turkeys? I think it's turkeys. Yeah. And they come up with this ingenious way to, it's pheasants. That's what it is. They come up with this ingenious way to poach pheasants, which is drug them by filling raisins full of sleeping pills. And (laughs) they, they make a life out of stealing and evading the system of comeuppances that this world is all about. And in the meantime, have the kind of lifestyle that you're, you're mentioned Roald Dahl being supportive of running around in the woods, hanging out with your dad, having his loving relationship, parent and child reading books and that sort of thing. But I, but I just noticed given this interpretation that you just gave that system of, of law, that system of just desert and duty, um, is, is a, uh, is something to be avoided, to be skirted in that other story as well. That comes yeah. up in Fantastic Mr. Fox too, doesn't it? I mean, the mere fact that the protagonist of the story is a fox who also makes his living by stealing from the farmers and the farmers yeah. themselves who are trying to get even, level the playing field quite literally. <laughs> Sometimes with, don't they use explosives at one point? I don't <laughs> <Yes>. know. <laughs> they do. Well, here's the thing too. If you go all the way to the very end of the story. So dude, I, my favorite part of this whole, I was telling my students again in class today that this is one of the most fun books we teach all year because it's just chock full of uh, jokes for grownups. Oh yeah. Roald Dahl wants to be sure that the parents will enjoy reading the book out loud to the children. <laughs> and he starts it, he just starts it immediately with the description of the grandparents. The first, the first page of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, if you all reach back into your childhoods and remember, is a, uh, a little pen and ink drawing or a little pencil drawing of two of the most hideously ugly old people you've ever <laughs> seen. And the opening line is, these two very old people are the father and mother of Mr. Bucket. And their names are Grandpa Joe and Grandma Josephine. And then there's a picture of another two hideously old people. And, he says, and these two very old people are the father and mother of Mrs. Bucket. And he proceeds to absolutely make fun of these four old people for the rest of the story. Every time they come up, they're older and more they're ancient. Dead. Yeah, they're older and more ancient and colder and more irascible and grosser the whole time. <laughs> and he just thinks everybody, he thinks they're hilarious. Now, when we get to the end, get this. I think this is really important. We get to the end of the story and here comes Wonka and Charlie and Grandpa Joe in the glass elevator. And Willy Wonka, oh, another travesty on the part of filmmakers, by the way, there are two versions of this, two film versions of the, of the story. The most recent film version is a Johnny Depp led cast and the travesty that they impose on the story is that Johnny Depp doesn't want Charlie Bucket's family to come back to the factory with him. I had a kid in class try and tell me that was what happened today. Evidently didn't do his reading. And I said, (laughs) bro, that is not what went down. Right. So quite to the contrary, they fly the glass elevator back to Charlie Bucket's little shack and they blast down through the roof. What is the response of the grandparents? Do you guys remember? No, please. There is no way in hell you're getting me on that contraption. 
and, oh, and by the way, you ruined my house. I thought it was drafty before, and now it's draftier. Thanks for nothing. And Charlie and Grandpa Joe get off and say, guys, we're saved. We were literally starving to death, and now we have plenty forever and ever and ever, and we're very, very rich. And Charlie has just inherited this chocolate factory, and they go, yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't care. We're not leaving. And what Willy Wonka has to do is remind them all that a life full of hope instead of despair is better and say, we can absolutely manage the bed as well. And so they don't even have to get up. <laughs> they grab the bed and they drag the bed. I know it's funny, isn't it? But it's also kind of poignant. They grab the bed and they drag it into the glass elevator and bed and all take the grandparents by force to the promised land. Or drag them kicking and screaming. Yeah, they drag them kicking and screaming. That's cool. Not only does no one get what they deserve, but everybody gets saved, whether they want to be or not. That is profound. I've never thought about that before. That's amazing. It's freaking awesome. <laughs> is it your new favorite book? <laughs> no, I just, no. I Like I told you, I actually think Danny the Champion of the World is better. That book makes me cry. I think Danny the Champion of the World is amazing. Um. But I do, I do think there's an argument to be made that this book isn't because here's the thing. Like I just, I have such a hard time believing that a book that is straight moralism as opposed to thematic storytelling is going to be a classic forever and ever and ever. Right. I it's hard to go find one. It's hard to imagine that that's the reason it's still being loved and treasured and read and made movies right. about. Is that it's a it's moral still tale. being loved and treasured and read after all these years because of chocolate, guys. <laughs> it's the Candyman. The Candyman. Because man of chocolate. Can. Come on. But it's not because of chocolate. <laughs> It's because Roald Dahl writes a great setting. The setting well, of the story really helps. But I don't think a book is actually a classic. I don't think the difference between moral and theme is an important difference. Mm -hmm. And I just talked about it with the kids in class today. And I don't think the one can survive without the other. A book that is moral instead of theme will fade really quickly, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree with you. And so it's always worth digging. You find one that's moralism on the surface. Let's go dig a little harder and see what's underneath. It strikes me that that makes it easier to teach too, because I remember you and I first taught this like three years ago together, and we had a hard time as new teachers teaching it in the teaching the classics method, because it seems to be just a series of vignettes about mm -hmm. kids getting getting theirs. Do what they deserve, <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> and uh, so how are you supposed to sustain a conflict that lasts over the whole time? But if this is the case, if that's part of the problem, if if this give and take is the wrong way of seeing the world, then that's part of the conflict of the story. And that lasts the whole time. Yeah. And like getting a new vision for how how one interacts with the world when they are are not living up to the standard mm -hmm. that it sustains the whole story. Very interesting. Wow. My impulse is to think that that, that kind of approach to things holds up in some of his other stories. Do you guys have uh, thoughts about that? I mean, Danny and the Champion of the World, I think, does for the reasons I mentioned. But what about some of his other stuff? You mentioned um, Fantastic Mr. Fox, Missy. And what about what about Matilda? Do you guys like Matilda? I don't think I've ever read Matilda. Is that the one about the girl really? with the ESP? Dude, with what? Like she can move things with her mind and stuff. Is that what that means? Yes, that is what that is. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's no, about a little I... girl that's so smart that she can, her brain is so overpowered that she can make physical things move around. That's sort of like um, that show that, that uh, Netflix just did, Stranger Things. Oh yeah, yeah, you're right. I wonder if they got it from Roald Dahl. Hey, if you are indebted to Roald Dahl, you could do worse. 
<laughs> much. You could do much Have worse. Have you guys ever read any of his short stories for grownups? Uh-uh. No. no. He has a short story about a guy who um, is, an, an, is a famous or a really, really talented antique hunter and appraiser of fine furniture. And he, um, I hope I'm going to not mangle the storyline here, but he, in his searching through junk stores and whatever, he finds a guy who has, unbeknownst to the man himself, has an 18th century Chippendale chair that is priceless. And instead of paying the guy a fair price, he tries to hustle it from him. Chisel him out of it. Talks it, talks him down and said, you know, talks about how the chair's kind of beat up and old and I guess he'll take it off his hands and whatever. And he's, he's into the psychological aspect of how to really play this guy so that he can get the chair for next to nothing. And one of the techniques that he uses is to say that his truck isn't big enough and he's going to go home and think it over. Maybe I won't buy it at all, but if I do, I'll come back with a bigger car. And so he drives off thinking that the guy will be all primed to get a, buy it for nothing when he comes back. Comes back to find that the guy, just out of the goodness of his heart, has cut the thing in half so it'll fit in his truck. <gasps> <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Isn't that great? Playing and with irony. Think, oh, that's brutal. And you think, rolled. You got me. This is dark. <laughs> well, and that's the thing is, I think there's a little undercurrent of darkness in all of his work. And I, I didn't know a whole lot about him until I was preparing to teach today. But dude saw some stuff, man. I mean, he was a, he was a fighter pilot in World War II, was an ace who was shot down over enemy territory and oh, had wow. to be rescued and lost friends in the war. And I mean, it, he's definitely lived a full and interesting life. So he's got plenty to draw from. Mm-hmm. And I think it's kind of cool that after all of that, what he wants to do is write children's fiction. I mean, that was really his forte was the kids' books, obviously. And I just love it. What about the BFG? I've never read BFG. What? No. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, you read it when I wasn't looking. (laughs) You've got to go read it. Well, okay. Well, we can't talk about it if you haven't read it. I'm not the only one here. I haven't read it either. No spoilers. When bro. did you read yeah. it, Ian? The BFG? There's a copy in your house that I have probably read 10 times. <laughs> I didn't say I didn't buy it. I just said I didn't read it. <laughs> it's such a great story. Do you know about do you know what it is? Big friendly giant? Yeah. Is that all you know? That's it. Those That's three all words. I know. And I know that the recent movie version of that one was extremely slow moving. Yeah. The idea of it is so cool. Let this serve as a recommendation to those of our listeners who don't know about the BFG. The idea is that there is that these giants are, um, as you would expect a giant to be as a small child, man-eating terrors. Of course. But there's one undersized, scr- uh, sort of scrawny, sort of dumb, sweet, loving giant who captures dreams of all different shapes and sizes and blows them into the bedroom of little children so that they can have dreams. Uh, and he runs around the countryside of England doing this every night with this long trumpet, like an ear trumpet. He blows the dream into the room and he is captured or he's seen by a little girl. And so in order to pres- preserve his secret, he captures her and they have a friendship. It's is it phenomenal? Is it as thematic as you just made Charlie in the chocolate factory? I'd have to go think about it probably. Cause that's the thing about, I think that's the thing about doll that, that makes him so relevant. It's what you guys were saying a minute ago that there's, there's not just moral in it. There's, Mm -hmm. he's going after universal ideas and always at every corner trying to say something about the eternal or about 
the universal. And I think mm-hmm. it's interesting what you said a minute ago that he chose to write for children. Um, in my experience with children's literature, that is ever present. A great author for children never leaves that. It's not. It's not like um, when you're writing for children, you have to you have to leave the the contemplation of eternal things off to the side. I think Dahl is a great reminder of that, that the best ones are doing it all the time, regardless of the age of their audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think, here, let me read this. This is just a little paragraph from the end of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, but this backs me up in my idea that, um, that Dahl, that Wonka is real Dahl himself rather than Dahl speaking through the Oompa Loompas. So Grandpa Joe looks at him and says, why would you want to give your factory to little Charlie? Listen, Mr. Wonka said, I'm an old man. I'm much older than you think. I can't go on forever. I've got no children of my own, no family at all. So who's going to run the factory when I get too old to do it myself? Someone's got to keep it going, if only for the sake of the Oompa Loompas. By the way, read all of the people in the world who don't understand about joy and happiness. And you got it? Okay, moving on. I got it. (laughs) Mind you, there are thousands of clever men who would give anything for the chance to come in and take over from me. But I don't want that sort of person. I don't want a grown-up person at all. A grown-up won't listen to me. He won't learn. He will try to do do things his own way and not mine. So I have to have a child. I want a good, sensible, loving child, one to whom I can tell all my most precious candy-making secrets while I'm still alive. That's awesome. Holy smoke, Ian. I love your reading I of that. Think you're right. you, I think you're right. I think you're right. I could be. <laughs> I like it when I am. <laughs> it might have happened. Who knows? Uh, so tell me, for the sake of my little elementary class that you taught today, that you got that point across. No, you don't. There's no time. We danced around it, but there's just absolutely no time with it because the kid. What, what the elementary class wants to do is um, raise their hand, each one of them, and over say and something. over again. Whether up, down, it's, up, down, up, down, up, down. Matter if it means anything or if it's on point. Sometimes I'll ask a question. I love this is my favorite part because the, it's the little voices. If an adult did this to me, I'd be so mad. I ask a question <laughs> into the room, and then I call on a specific person. I say Johnny, and then I re- I repeat my question. And then say, Johnny, would you answer that question? And then I repeat it again. So they've heard it twice. <laughs> I can okay. see this coming. <laughs> I, un- I unmute the microphone and he goes, um, so what I was going to say is, and then we're at his mercy. <laughs> it goes a total another direction. <laughs> and that's it. But, the, but luckily though, his voice is tiny and adorable. And you love it because he's just so little and cute and you can't blame him, but it makes getting through the class and having something to say at the end and time to say it with tremendously. Different. Oh. What song did you sing this morning yep. after your class on this topic? I sang a song. There's no way of knowing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's no way of knowing which direction, which direction this class is going. <laughs> oh, that is so I have great. to tell a story on one of my on one of my little kids, though. He should remain nameless, obviously. But I was asking for introductions at the beginning of the year, which is the most fun part. Like I said, the cute little voices are like half the point. And uh and this kid raises his hand and I had asked them to tell me who they were and where they were from and what their major hobbies are. And he skipped the where he was from part, but that was okay because what he said is, so my name's Brian. <laughs> he says, I love to cycle, but it's been 
quite cold and dreary. <laughs> so I've been staying inside. But the weather's supposed to improve next week, so that gives me hope. Oh, and I thought, priceless. thank God. <laughs> thank God. And then I thought, can I just find a dictionary? Read it. Just read it to me. <laughs> read it to me, Brian. Read me the dictionary. <laughs> Between him and his... Uh, his classmates from New Zealand. We have some really fun kids to listen to. That is great. I love it. Well, it sounds like if they were paying attention today, they got a reading of Willy Wonka, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, I should say, that is worth thinking about. That blows my mind. Mm-hmm. I never thought about that. Like is that is really, really interesting. Too. I never thought about it. And it makes me like uh, Roald Dahl even better than I did, which was considerable. Considerably. <laughs> There's got to be some reason a guy like that is still popular, right? Besides just the fact that it's cute and funny. Yeah. That's what I was saying. I think there must be. Mm-hmm. And besides the fact that it's moralistic. When it comes right down to it, all of the great books have some element of grace in them, and we ought to go sniff for it. That's what makes the heart respond, even if, even if we don't know it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would too. agree with that. I mean, maybe that's why I loved, loved Charlie and the Chocolate Factory all this time and just didn't know it. Maybe something at the spiritual level, you know, was responding, even though my brain didn't get it. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of one of the beautiful things about literature is that it gets in the back door. You know, it's not um, it's not that there's nothing cerebral about literature. I mean, obviously, we can talk and think about it very deeply. But um, when you enjoy a story, sometimes the um, the elements like what you're talking about today do make it in through the heart instead of just the head. Yeah. You mm-hmm. connect with the character or with an idea or an atmosphere that the author presents to you. Yeah. So it's working on more than one level. I don't know if this is related or not. I don't think it's related to that profound thing you just said, Missy, but um, I was Willy Wonka in the fourth grade school play. (laughs) You were? That is profound. (laughs) I was, um, I I got the lead role. That's why you like Willy Wonka. And it was uh, in the fourth grade. I have to tell a story because this is great stuff. In the fourth grade, this would have been about 1979, um, Saturday Night Fever was all the rage with John Travolta and Olivia Newton-John. Did you do the oh. dance? And and the the other thing that was the style of music we put on a musical. We did. <laughs> you did the dance. The musical, didn't you? and I was Willy Wonka, and I got in. The, I wore a, a leisure suit. Oh, you even wore the. Outfit. They got me in a leisure suit, and I did John Travolta's disco dance, where you point down and then you point up, and you point down and then you point up, and you swing <laughs> your hips. <laughs> I'd love oh yeah. To see that. <laughs> That's and I, the reason I bring it up is there there actually is a picture of me as a fourth grader out there somewhere in that leisure suit, right in mid sway or mid whatever you call it, uh, gyration. Must find it. Yeah, I think we need that. <laughs> that yes. is a new mission. I will find <laughs> that uh, picture. I promise. But the, re- the reason I brought it up is that I wanted to mention that I don't think my reading of the character uh, was as good as yours. I don't think I connected. <laughs> <laughs> did not connect nearly the way you did with the oh, underlying yeah. themes of the story. Well, I just think maybe I'll maybe I'll write myself a little book or a blog article or something on. I would like to see that idea right now. Yeah, grace and chocolate. (laughs) Oh, those two words do belong together. I know. (laughs) I agree. Chocolate is grace. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness! I totally wasn't aware or wasn't ready for that. Funny.
But I am going to adjourn this episode of Bibliophiles. Uh, don't think we could say much more that would be more to the point. That, Ian, thank you. That was very, very profound. I'll be thinking about that till our, yell at you for a while. till our next episode. Appreciate you listening, everyone. If you'd like to know what Center for Lit is doing in the wonderful world of the interwebs, go to our website at centerforlit.com or the Pelican Society at pelicansociety.com. We will meet you there. And until we do, happy reading, everyone. Happy, happy reading. reading. Bibliophiles is a production of the Center for Lit Podcast Network. Find new episodes each month on the web at centerforlit.com, where you'll discover dozens of resources to equip and inspire you to participate in the great conversation, including the Pelican Society, a membership program for folks who love the Center for Lit approach to all things literary. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Until next time, happy reading, everyone.